you know, life is good. Like people aren't necessarily like I evil love, by nature. I love that you recommended that because I have a perfect uh, warn for everybody. Absolutely do not watch The Great Pottery Throw. So that... <laughs> Sunday scaries. Yes, that was all, Travis. Yeah. Was Did you really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Actually, was, I was I asked that kind of facetiously, but that's oh, yeah. actually really impressive. That's like the the fifth version of it. Uh, yeah. There he, were some... I've I've been sent the working drafts, like yeah, leading up to the current iteration. Yeah. That was, I think that's the current working one. Yeah. So. That, that was a jam. Yeah. That was yeah. a vibe. Yeah, we'll go with it the right now. Kids call it a bop. They call it a bop. A bop. They call <laughs> it a corporate punk pop. Some I would say it, it slaps. <laughs> I showed it to my no. I showed it yeah, my it little does. brother, it the slaps. composer, and he was like, "Oh, that's a great corporate punk track." And I was like, "I don't like the way you put it." But well, uh, delete. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it's I don't like the way you said it. Uh, hey, hey, everyone. Uh, it's not Sunday, but it feels like a Sunday. Welcome to Sunday Scaries. Maybe you'll hear this on a Maybe Sunday. Maybe you'll hear this on a Sunday. It'll get posted on a Sunday. So that's what really matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm Travis. And I'm Tyler. And we're hanging out with Blake today. What's up, guys? Blake is uh, Blake is an actor uh, in the industry uh, and a really good friend of mine who uh, was nice enough to come and talk about a movie with us today. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Excited to be here. And what movie did we watch today, guys? We watched The, the Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. <laughs> I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. I don't care what happens to her. She's your girlfriend. You take care of her. Book of the Dead, not Book of the Dead. Yeah, that was that, we that didn't one got sh- that. that one got shot down. Yeah, it's important to add the D too because I feel mm-hmm. like that's left off a lot. You know what I mean? It is, and yeah, well, for the 2013 remake, that's just they, called they Evil, Dead. Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's and, but what a great title though. I know, like, and I even like <laughs> like looking for it because I I I rented it on Amazon Prime and I even typed in Evil Dead and then it popped. It was like no, the Evil Dead. And I was the, like, oh, yeah, because if you type in just Evil Dead, the 2013. Uh-huh. version will come up it does and just yeah but what a great title though like it's yeah so simple uh you yeah you're right uh the original working title for it the book of the dead mm-hmm. uh, got shot down before they took it to the Cannes film festival yeah. the, the producer said they thought kids would be more likely to tune in if it didn't have if it didn't sound like it had a literary reference <laughs> <laughs> that's what uh it, which, that's what the claim was. To be fair, yeah, that's what they're fighting against is the mm-hmm. literary elements of this movie. It is yeah. very, it's a very mm-hmm. literary, very lit heavy uh, movie. Um, yeah, the it was Evil also Dead. early '80s though too. Mm-hmm. So hair metal bands were like definitely a thing, and mm-hmm. Evil Dead just kind of sounds like like that's so metal. Sounds you metal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is a metal as fuck title. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, no, I'm super down for it. Uh, but yeah, 1981, uh, the premiere film, the debut film, uh, feature film by Sam Raimi. Now 
now cult famous director for various projects from the oh, Evil yeah. Dead franchise, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, um, a great run in the 90s where he tried to make big boy films. Uh, and then ultimately the things that he's probably most famous for, the Spider-Man trilogy from the early 2000s featuring Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, Sam Raimi uh, is very near and dear to my heart. I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here too, Blake, because you kind of I feel like you share some of the same affection for this director that I do. Um, yeah, for sure. Like I wanted to, I think after watching the movie last night, cause I, it had been a long time since I'd watched it before. Um, I kind of wanted to like, Oh, I mean, obviously I didn't have time to do it. I watched it at like 1am last night. So I was like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get to sleep. So I'm not a, like a sack of shit for this podcast. Um, but I wanted to like go through his entire Rolodex and just like, see like how this movie transferred into everything else that he had done since. And I mean, like if, even if you have like a good, you know, memorabilia in your head of anything that he's ever done, you can see the influences everywhere. Yeah, this is definitely is where it all begins. And it's he's one of those directors, uh, much like his contemporaries, uh, the Coen brothers, who I think we're going to kind of start off talking about, you know, the setup um, just in the industry sense for this film. And the Coen brothers are a big part of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, similar to their very early films, when you watch, you know, Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, you see the, yeah, the like the primordial elements of, of their style, like th that are there from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And this movie, particularly the evil dead you can see every element from the movie that he made over the last 30 years in that first movie from 1981 for um, sure which is mind-blowing it's crazy i feel like so was this this wasn't your first time seeing it right you'd seen it before. no i'd seen it before okay uh it was a long time ago it was at like a like a halloween party like in college yeah i feel like people like of our generation that's kind of a because me too like i wasn't a huge horror person growing up actually except for you know i feel like my relationship with horror you know, as, as a kid was mainly like all 2000s pop horror, which you know, sort of mm -hmm. shaped my view on the genre. And so like oh, later yeah. on, I started then backtracking and like going through the classics and everything and really appreciating it, uh, you know, for, yeah, and its relevance to film in general a lot more. Um, yeah. And I'm your, in the same boat yeah. now. Now, I have, this is one of the few so far in the series that I had seen before. But again, it was like at some Halloween yeah. thing, just kind of playing, Yeah, you know, it's definitely I, had, I never actually like keyed into it right because so. I feel like it's because of its cult classic nature it's one of those ones where yeah like Halloween or uh, you know you, you see like the thing playing in the background at a Halloween Friday party the 13th, Friday the 13th or... yeah the ones the big ones that like you're kind of daring yourself to watch when you're like a younger kid mm -hmm. and then like later on they just end up being sort of the backdrop to a lot of you know October Halloween uh, spooky parties and stuff mm -hmm. um, but in that sense it's like I think that's what's crazy about going back and giving this like a good authentic like in-depth like watch a true like, analysis like, yeah you actually watch yeah because right. I was going to say that because I think at the party that I watched it at I don't you know I didn't pay attention to it as as well as I did this time mm -hmm. and I caught so many things this time right. that mm -hmm. I didn't catch last time just like like humanity aspects of it that mm -hmm. I just didn't really think that I was going to catch it's on to so much more deep than you like it's like watching it again you know like I say yeah through a more critical lens yeah you do catch those things you're like man they there's this some is moral a, struggles going on there, there's there, some like, moral struggles and then also just from a from a filmmaking standpoint it 
holds up so like for a for a debut feature film there's so much of this movie where you can tell even though it it's you know classically and famously known as as you know one of those classic shoestring budget you know sort of by their bootstraps young filmmakers just you know cobbling together their first movie it has the tender like the care put into it uh, you know of an experienced filmmaker or at least somebody who you know obviously appreciates the art form understands and, the art form mm-hmm, well. and wants to wants to try to you know to to do something with it which i think is a good kind of segue into talking about you know where does sam raimi come from right and more importantly and incredibly importantly for this movie where does bruce campbell come from um where these two these two you know filmmakers uh, early on in the industry were just so intertwined and they're just one of those few examples where you see two careers that play off each other and kind of complement the meteoric rise throughout you know the very beginning of their career um so do you know, like, I think you know a good deal about like, Bruce Campbell's background as well, too, and their relationship. This is kind of what I wanted to have you on here as an actor, too, because it's yeah, uh, I'm just from I mean, your perspective. To be honest, like, I actually don't know that much about where they both were before this movie and about, like, their relationship before the film. Mm-hmm. This is, like, my first exposure to them working together. Mm-hmm. So this is a really cool... Uh, so Bruce Campbell and uh, Sam Raimi actually met uh, as cl- classmates high school, in high school. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far oh, back... Wow. Yeah, so they both uh, grew up in Michigan, um, in uh, kind of, like, suburban Michigan during, you know, the 1970s. Um, met as high school buddies. And there's just something so, uh, I don't know, so adorable to me about their relationship because <laughs> Bruce is this Bruce Campbell, you know, especially in this movie, very early on, he's just that he's, he's a classically handsome dude, you know, and in this first movie, he kind of plays that a little bit more straightforward. Even, you know, later on, he kind of evolves into his role as like a, a sat, a sat satirical form of like the hot dude in a movie. Yeah. yeah I would, well, that's what I was going to say was mm-hmm. like, he was very not leaning into the Bruce Campbellisms in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he was playing it very, like a, a little bit more straight, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And I want to know like what the conversations were after this film where, you know, Ramey was just kind of like, you know, like that eyebrow raise thing that you do. Mm-hmm. I need more yeah, of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, let's like, lean into this. Yeah. You know bit. what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Cause in this one, he's still so like, I mean, and he's so little, like he's so, he's not like, <laughs> he's still mm-hmm. incredibly handsome, but he, yeah, but he's not like a big hunky, you know, like yeah, ripped jock dude. Yeah. yeah that yeah. he becomes in evil dead two and army of darkness. But this first one is definitely like th- this relationship that they have, you know, Sam Raimi is this, this very nerdy, very reserved guy who has a super eight camera when he's a kid. Um, and he gets together with this other dude and they're, you know, Bruce Campbell's like Sam Raimi is one of the first people I've ever met who's like making a film like you're like putting things on film and like recording home videos and making his own little short films and stuff um, and Bruce Campbell for all of his looks and his demeanor of, as you know a classically handsome strong jawed you know he, he looks like a leading man um, is just also so in love with the art form and such a dork and loves the Three Stooges and he mm-hmm. he's so in love with the art form too that he just he can't help but be best friends with this guy who is also committed to the thing that he's so passionate about um so bruce campbell grows up in michigan and uh picks up these random like production assistant gigs as like a gopher and stuff um you know go for this go for that like on a set he's going he's building sets for uh live theater plays um he's taking every role he can get because he figures out really early on this is the industry that i want to be a part of i don't know what i would do but make movies i don't see any, any reason to do anything else um and so there's this kind of like this great serendipity of, of these two guys meeting very early on and that I think creates the environment and the background for them to be able to make something like this movie, Evil Dead. Um, 
and it's really great. Yeah, so they do they do a bunch of like fundraising. Um, famously, um, Bruce Campbell puts up his uh, like his parents' property in Michigan as a collateral, collateral. for yeah. <laughs> for a lot of the loans that they take. You oh, know, wow. for the investment for this movie, which uh, there's like some debate about it in the the lore behind the production behind Evil Dead. But um, anywhere from one hundred and fifty thousand to a three hundred and seventy five thousand dollar budget on the top end, which you know even for 1980s money is not that much to make a movie. right <laughs> and they probably spend so much of that money alone on the uh the claymation demon melting scene yeah so great yeah uh, i can't wait to get to that when we talk about the plot here but yeah it's, it's so great uh, but yeah so the the this this filmmaker uh sam raimi and, and their their ragtag team of uh of misfits put together this movie um with a $375,000 budget on the high end. Uh, there's all these different stories about, you know, the filming on set for this, the trials and tribulations they went through, you know, the kind of, kind of classically, like a lot of films from this era, um, especially ones that are on the lower budget end, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, you know, mm-hmm. Last House on the Left. Yeah, it's just like abysmal filming conditions. It, yeah. They're the, burning the furniture to stay warm because yeah. they're all staying in the same house that they're shooting in. Exactly. Yeah. Famously, like, <laughs> this, uh, this cabin that they stay in was also the lodging for you know the entire cast and crew 13 to 15 people they had to live there throughout the entire filming of this uh um this freaking movie here try to to dodge fake blood mm -hmm. (laughs) on their wardrobe at all times exactly yeah um yeah so i I think that's you know this this sets up this uh this career though for for sam raimi and bruce campbell um who go on to have this relationship where you know the first four movies that sam raimi produces and, and makes you know he he forces bruce campbell to be his leading man in all of them mm-hmm. which bruce is more than happy to do um which came up kind of serendipitously yeah from what i understand like they, mm-hmm. they came you know bruce being a student of the of the art himself like they had they came up with this idea to make this movie um and didn't like initially say that bruce was going to be the leading man but yeah. they had a conversation and they were like well you're the one you're the one people would want to look at. And he mm-hmm. was like, okay. And that's how, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it could have gone very differently. They could have brought somebody else in. Like uh, Scott's the, character could have been the leading man right, instead, yeah. you know, but yeah. Raimi and, was just like, the girls want to look at you. Yeah. And he's like, all right. And it's true. Yeah. Right. Cause he's, yeah. a, he's a handsome man. And the original script for this too, the, uh, so there was a version of this movie that came out um, before they actually started working on the feature, the, you know, in order to get the funding, they had created this short film called into the woods or was it uh, something? It was in the woods, I think something. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah. A similar. It got them their initial like 90,000, thousand dollar loan yeah it was basically like a proof of proof of concept that was you know essentially like the introduction to this movie um a lot of the same elements were you know the the classic like Raimi cam um and in that version of this movie uh, the the original setup for it was that the roles were reversed um like the linda character was the one who was kind of experiencing a classic final girl situation where you know the demons were possessing um everybody else and she was the last one left standing um and the virgin left standing yeah exactly and they kind of reversed that and uh, subverted the you know the classical trope of a final girl and one of the best letterbox reviews for this is bruce campbell is my favorite final girl um because he is (laughs) like he's the he 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 sticks around and he's the only character uh left alive at the end um 
Yeah, because aside from like subverting the classic like final girl expectation, this one also does a thing where um, I think like, you know, in, in movies like this where you're dealing with like, a demon or a monster in a cabin in the woods, the classic trope is to, you know, each one of the characters gets picked off one by one and in increasingly, you know, escalated, you know, kill sequences or something mm-hmm. and uh, more interesting uh, action sequences. But in this one, the, the action just happens so fast. It's just kind of mm-hmm. things get kicked off and then it's just everybody fucking with Bruce Campbell for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, but we also much. retain mm-hmm. a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, oh, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Forget about them. You know, um, we see them coming back yeah, and they... back and back and back. It's true. Yeah, they Which, stick when you only have five actors on the set, mm-hmm. I guess you kind of have to do that. And if you look at it, it's funny, though, because so we have the five main actors. Right. Um, yeah, so and we have... We have a lot of... Shemps. Shemps. <laughs> yeah. A, a Raimi term, yeah. I learned, right? Shemps. Mm. Um yeah, so classically, so we have the five main characters. We get Bruce Campbell um, playing Ashley Williams. Uh, Ashley, which is, I guess, you know, I, I love to harken back to a day where Ashley was just a common, like, male name. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I don't know why. There's something, I, I have an affection for, like, gender reverse names, like girls with boy names and guys mm-hmm. with girl names. It's, I don't know. <laughs> it's, Ashley, I had to, I, you know, it's funny. Shannon, I didn't, I didn't Courtney. hear that. The first, cause she only does, she only calls him Ashley twice. Very, right. Very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I don't think I caught that the first time. So, I had to, I just thought, I mean. And of course, Ash is short for Ashley, but mm-hmm. like I didn't, I just thought it was Ash. It took me like three yeah. watches over the course yeah. of the past like five years to figure that out. So I rewound um, it. I was like, and I Cheryl, rewound it. I was like, wait a minute, who is this Ashley bitch she keeps referring uh-huh. to? And I was like, yeah, oh, she's Cheryl, talking, and Cheryl like, well, she's talking to him. When she's like the most freaked out, you know, yeah. you use somebody's full name to grasp their full attention. Yeah. You know? Like if Courtney were I'm to okay call now. me Tyler, I'm okay I'd be now, like, oh Ashley. shit. Let me out. Yeah, maybe we can, so that's kind of the general setup. I feel like we'll pepper in some other fun facts and trivia about the production and stuff behind this as we go maybe like a quick discussion of the plot and stuff here um and some other facts about the cabin and its nature but um this movie starts out so it, it is like i said it's a classic setup for a cabin of the woods movie it's a it's a group of youngsters going out for uh, for a little getaway thing um but like i feel like in this one they like notably aren't like young kids there there's like yeah. a weird element to it where they're just like like college age to the point where like they're not going out to just like get fucked up in the woods and stuff they're just like going to like hang out and enjoy like a nice cabin getaway mm-hmm. um yeah there's a weird flip of this in the so i will say uh in getting ready for this i did watch the 2013 remake because we did talk about this the other day and i was like i couldn't remember if i had seen it or not so you did rewatch it yeah after, re- after our re- conversation i rewatched it again because i was like i i know that i've seen this and i watched it and i was like yeah i've definitely seen this movie and i forgot how much more harrowing that the 2013 one is than the, <laughs> than the 1981 yeah, original it, it takes itself very seriously yeah which i think is an aspect of this one that i appreciate more the one that we all watched last night mm-hmm. is that like there's a humor of dark comedy to it, and it's like you, it's such a roller coaster of emotions because you laugh, you feel terrified, you feel kind of sad for these people. You kind of, yeah, it's it's a, a roller coaster of emotions, which I love, which like the, the 2013 remake is just kind of it's like, just, it's just like straight, shit, 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 shit all the time. It also has, yeah. uh, I, I think what I was uh, going to say too is that it has this element of like drug addiction and stuff too that they use as sort of a framing device for the main like character experiencing all this like torment and everything and in that one like you said yeah the the seriousness of the torment that they experience in that one is a little bit more yeah it's more grounded in reality whereas in this one it's you know 
the in other reading and stuff that like I've done for this the classic thing is that it's you know it's Sam Raimi essentially just getting to have to beat up his his best friend jock friend like yeah. the handsome guy who always kind of gets everything he wants he's like let me just torment Bruce Campbell throughout the course of this movie which is basically just what happens it's a it's a lot of campy blood a lot of campy gore <laughs> that is just a hilarious spectacle to behold yeah the um, scene that like when you just said that the scene that comes to mind the most is when it's the pipe burst it's like, yes. it's like, w- did we really yes. need this? No, but like, he's like, I want to see a pipe of blood burst in your face. And exactly. I'm, yeah, I want to apologize Where's for it. And he was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Bruce. Yeah. yeah. Not one, Get ready. But because... more than one time. And that's, that's, that shows up in, in Raimi, like horror, especially like all the way up to drag me to hell, you know, in 2012, where it's he, one thing that he loves to do is have multiple instances of a gross goo just being dumped into the face of the main <laughs> character. And it's so gross and so unsettling, but so funny and satisfying mm-hmm. when you see it and it's just a, yeah and this one like later on in the plot they had that piper and it's just it just fills his face with that corn syrup oh, blood yeah. mixture yeah. and it's just oh, so yeah. fucking like nasty caro and yeah food coloring it's so viscous and just uh, like you're like oh it's in his mouth and mm-hmm. it's getting in his nose yeah and- but then of course next shot immediately he's just completely clean just kind of cleaned off <laughs> yeah gets wiped off yeah 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 you can't cover up that beautiful face you have to make right sure exactly you got to give the ladies his, what they want his jawline mm-hmm. um which that continuity that's kind of a product of them struggling for funding and ending up filming this over several years mm-hmm. as they went back you know the principal filming was in Tennessee mm-hmm. but then they had to go back and shoot some in Michigan to finish the film yeah so yeah there's plenty of continuity breaks yeah. in this where Bruce or a different character is completely covered in blood and then not or like when he hits uh, Linda's hand with the shotgun like out the door and it shoots blood all over the door <laughs> and then they show it again there's no blood on the yeah. door what like it, there's a lot of that but we yeah. have to cut them a break i guess because yeah we can cut them a little slack with their uh with their script supervising uh, <laughs> on that point um yeah the, they ran out of corn syrup they were yeah, balling exactly. on a budget <laughs> um yeah the setup for this movie so bruce campbell is, is ashley uh there's uh bruce campbell and then we get scott um who's the other uh man in the car mm-hmm. who's uh driving richard demand and core the Manticore, yeah. Richard the Man, Dick the Manticore. Yeah, we have uh, <laughs> Ellen Sandweiss who plays Cheryl. That's Ash's sister, and mm-hmm. then we have uh, Teresa Tilly who plays Shelley. Um, and she's billed in this as Sarah York. She actually did the film under a fake name because she was a little bit embarrassed about uh, sort of. She was kind of the one who was like the more serious actor at the time and mm. trying to get roles where. At this moment, you know, doing movies of this kind where it's like you're doing a, you know, a horror genre film, it was kind of like just, you know, she was like, all right, well, this is just a stepping stone to me getting like, you know, a real dramatic role or something. Um, So she does this under a fake name under Sarah York. Um, And then we have. uh, Yeah, because you see a lot of actors back then kind of using these movies as stepping stones, like Kevin Bacon and Friday the 13th. Like Mm -hmm. it was a stepping stone for a lot of these guys back back in the day. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff. Um, Which is crazy because of of not just for like the, on the, you know, behind the camera and stuff, but like, yeah, in front of the camera, so many famous actors, you know, cutting their teeth on these like these little horror genre films that can be whatever they want to be. Which is definitely, I think, how like Sam Raimi viewed it as well, where it's like, okay, this is the type of genre that I can get into and I can make a movie this is where people can you know when you have no budget you can get in and still produce something that's you know viable and like mm-hmm. can, can honor the genre in a way um well we keep well one thing we keep talking about is the budget and kind of in a way to make it it's like what kind of justifies like the way that it looks like but to me based on the things that i remember from horror movies that were coming out back in that day mm-hmm. 
I think it looks as good, if not better, than a lot of them. Like, oh, so yeah. I thought they did so many great things with such a low budget. It's mm-hmm. like, and I don't know what the budget was for all these other films that were coming out yeah. back in that day, but it looked fantastic to me. And I think that's like famously, I think that's like kind of what was so iconic about this film uh, early on in its release um, was that it was so unique and that they were doing interesting and innovative things with, you know, with what they had. The idea of, you know, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell strapping a camera to a two by four and just like jogging Running through, the, through the woods to give us the famous, you know, Sam Raimi, Raimi First cam. Per- like monster cam. Yeah. yeah. We get the perspective of, of an unseen demonic force just constantly weaving its way through the trees. Um, that's how the film starts. It sets up at the very beginning. You're like, okay, I have no idea what the fuck this is. Right. But like, there's some ominous presence here and I already know the stakes are high. I know that something bad is going to happen to these kids. Um, that is completely ambiguous and it's unexplained, but it's great that way. It's, it's great mm-hmm. that we don't even understand or it gets explained but i feel like it doesn't get over explained no definitely um, not yeah it's very brief yeah um, which is fine no it's fantastic. It, it allows you to just focus on the other elements yeah that it's much good, more i like you know they expand on the lore of this of the book of the dead a lot and like the later installments in the franchise and like comic books and the tv series and stuff um but yeah in this very very first movie you have exactly as much as you need to be like all right there's some evil shit going on here and that's just that's a, that's it that's that's what's happening um yeah, the uh, so the whole crew shows up to this cabin in the woods. Uh, we get that first shot of like so the f- first of all the classic uh, Sam Raimi's car, which has to show up in every single uh, movie. Yes, the '73 yeah. Oldsmobile Delta oh. 88. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful that car. his parents it's bought when he car. was like yeah. 14 or something like that, and has shown up in like every one of his films mm-hmm. since then. Yeah, it yeah. Has there's to. there's that one shot where it's like. I think they finally turn off the main road onto the dirt road that'll uh-huh. take them to oh, yeah. the, the cabin. And it just screeches. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it, it turns on the road and it's this beautiful shot of what it looks like, I guess, would be Tennessee in the fall. Mm-hmm. And it's just the car going through the trees and it's actually a really beautiful shot. I was, I was like, this could be a commercial movie. for yeah. a car. Yeah. I was like, it was, it was gorgeous. Yeah, that car is yeah. famous for, in uh, so in the biography, um, If Jens Could Kill, like Bruce Campbell's biography, or autobiography, um, he talks about his relationship with that car too. And that, over the course of you know the decades of filmmaking that they've had together that he's tried to destroy that car so many times <laughs> and there have been so many different versions of it that have been like created and manufactured for like different stunts um I think the the very first time they start duplicating it is in like Crime Wave, which gets made. The very, that's the very next movie that Sam Raimi makes after this one, uh, and he makes it with the Coen Brothers. Um, and they famously are all very very embarrassed of that movie. They don't want to talk about it ever again because it was <laughs> so poorly received, and it is just overall not a great movie. But there's lots of uh, driving and stunt scenes in that movie. So the uh, yeah the Oldsmobile gets like retrofitted with all these different like stunt gears and stuff uh, to be able to do all these you know highway scenes um but of all the various iterations and duplicates that have been made of it the the original sam raimi's personal car has still like existed even up to the point that i think for army of darkness there was there's a shot in army of darkness where they have to like drop it from a crane and so it has to like fall down and like explode or like there's something going on where they have to hollow out the entire interior of the car and the production crew goes up to bruce and they're like hey we can't we're using the duplicate for this shot we don't know which car to use for this shot where we 
have to hollow out the entire interior. And so Bruce Campbell directs them to Sam Raimi's personal version of the car, the original Oldsmobile, and says, take that one. And they say, are you sure? Isn't that Sam's car? And he says, yes, please take it. And he's tried, he's done that so many times to the point where they showed up on filming the next day and Sam realized that it was his personal car and then, but refused to give it up. They, he, he's, he's put so much hundreds of thousands of dollars into rebuilding that car again mm-hmm. and to have it continue existing up until even most recently it has its own little cameo in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Um, it shows up briefly in one of the New York fight scenes. Does it really? Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know. Absolutely, it does. I was yeah. I was looking for it in the Spider Man trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Aunt May's car, mm-hmm. like Uncle Ben and Aunt yeah, May's Uncle Ben car, drives it oh, uh, yeah, when he drops, he drops them off. Yeah, he drops Toby yeah, off yeah, yeah. at the at, uh, <laughs> the yeah the library in uh, in New York City. Um, but yeah, so we get to the cabin in the woods, uh, and then they're all kind of you know just, they're unloading and having fun. Um, there's a the, I think the first ominous sh- scene in this is where uh, I think it's Cheryl mm-hmm. is drawing. She's drawing a picture of the clock, um, mm-hmm. and her hand becomes possessed. She gets mm-hmm. like and she draws a like a possessed picture of the Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. Um, a square, a weird square little SpongeBob. Yeah, face. <laughs> it does look like. Spo- <laughs> I was I was just gonna it, yeah, say yeah. I remember looking. I was re- on the rewatch. I was like, it was Doodlebob. Yeah, it was Doodlebob. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, she's the first victim of the of the Evil Dead stuff. Uh, do we? I forget if like the tape recording stuff happens before or after that. That's um, it happens after, after. right? Because mm-hmm. they're having dinner, yeah. And then they are as they're having, they're trying to their their nice little dinner party and everything. Mm-hmm. They're drinking yeah. like smoothies and shit. Yeah. Um, and I think her. I think her hand when she's drawing it. I think because I think I rewound it because I was like, did her hand get weird looking? Yeah, it gets all mm-hmm. black. Her, her, and, like, yeah, her hand gets all like demon for just like a second, uh-huh. and yeah. then it goes back to normal. And yeah. I was like, oh, cool, like just like a little <laughs> quick. Right. <laughs> preview of like what we're gonna get to yeah. exactly uh and they have their dinner party and then like the basement door bursts open yeah, so everybody goes cellar. down to investigate yeah this into the cellar and this yeah the the, the labyrinthine nature of the cellar of that mm-hmm. that cabin i wonder about the construction of like how would you even i don't know it doesn't like, seem particularly functional yeah um well like the underground aspect of it i thought i mean at least like from what it looked like it looked like it was bigger than the upstairs cabin oh absolutely mm-hmm. so i was yeah. like i was like what were these people that just built this place doing Sunday prepper yeah. in, in my head it, it's tennessee so i was like oh these guys were like bootleggers before yeah. mm-hmm. they were like well, you know making you yeah. know moonshine underneath it's a prohibition era yeah yeah yeah, but yeah, but yeah that being exactly said, it's like they were filming in tennessee but i think in theory because i think all the students are supposed to be like university of michigan students so i think technically like they're supposed to be in Michigan, even though they were filming in Tennessee, like as, as far as the plot goes. Well, I feel like because at the very beginning, Bruce Campbell has a map and mm-hmm. he says a line where he says, like, we're, oh, I, we're right. either, he says, I can't remember what you're he right. says, we're either entering or leaving Tennessee. Yeah, I right. can't remember what it was. Some river or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. You're right. You're yeah, right. I think. Um, yeah. A lot of those scenes may have been shot in michigan right after as the they were finishing up yeah because so. that was the funny thing about like the idea of filming in tennessee because they were thinking that filming in the fall in michigan it was going to be too cold and so they went to go film in tennessee and it ended it up being one of the coldest cold. yeah it was one of the coldest like falls or winters in tennessee history mm-hmm. um and like michigan was perfectly fine like it was just like one of the nicest you know falls <laughs> that they had um yeah it was some more of just like the ironic i don't know nature of the production of this movie uh yeah they go down to that basement and find the classic uh i love that the so you've seen the other like Evil Dead Two and then Army of Darkness. Um, I've seen Evil Dead Two. Have mm-hmm. not seen Army of Darkness. Yeah, so. the Necronomicon grows. I feel like throughout the the various installments in the franchise. Because in this one, I was like, it kind of caught me off guard when I was doing it on a rewatch. I was like, oh, it's like the paperback version of the Necronomicon. It's just like a little yeah. uh, pocket guide. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the eight ninety nine like recycled books. You know, you go pick it up. Yeah, it gets um, much more intense like as time goes by mm-hmm. for sure. But it's bound in flesh. <laughs> 
written in human blood and they find the tape recorder down there as well of uh, some of the doctor who was yeah, a, some archaeologist yeah, who was studying Kandarian ruins and ancient and found a, a book of ancient Sumerian burial rites um, and and demon like spells uh, that would allow the dead to possess the living mm-hmm. and he decided it was a good idea to record that uh, entire incantation yeah mm-hmm. straight to tape mm-hmm. that was the part that I thought was one of the things that was so fucked up is that like they didn't even technically like read from the book and they how, didn't and, say and, it. well but also yeah, like, like how would they they can't they don't they're not you know, right. privy to you know Kandarian incantations but and I think I think that's what's that's something that's just so smart and 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 tight about this plot is that we talked about this, uh, so we just did an episode on Sinister, too, um, and the idea of, like, how do you get exposition into your plot without it being overly campy and just burdensome, yeah. and th- that element of it where we're like, okay, we have this tape recording of this doctor who's going to give us all the information that we really need to get this, this you know, kick off this evil stuff going, um, and the idea that him reading from you know the spell from the book or whatever is what kicks it off again uh, and he says you know later on that i think you know in the recording he says my wife has been you know possessed by one of the the kandarian demons or whatever and now you know then we learn that the only way to get to kill them is to dismember the body mm-hmm. um but yeah the idea of this uh it, it's again it's this memetic horror it's like the stuff where the entire like everybody just accidentally happens upon it and there's nothing they can do about it from that point on they've they've opened you know Pandora's box and let the genie yeah. out of the bottle, uh, and they have to dismember the genie. Yeah, to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is, and I love that idea though. It's like, like I said, when we were talking about sinister or like, and the fact that you know the ring does this later on too. Um, these uh, these horror monsters and elements that are passed on through just by by perceiving them or listening to it or mm-hmm. seeing it. And there's a yeah, really like cool, at no fault of their own. Yeah, there's a really cool. I, I that's a that's a cool scary element. I love that horror element. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the. Uh, what is the <laughs> the Encanto thing? We don't talk about Bruno. It's uh, we don't talk mm-hmm. about Kandarian demons. <laughs> um, it's the exact same idea. Um, but yeah, so they they hear the tape recording, and that kind of is what starts to as you know the 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 spell is being read on the tape recording by the doctor. I think it's like Doctor Nobly is the name of the guy. Yeah, I don't remember. It, it I gets don't put in. Remember. I think it retroactively gets put in. I don't know if in this movie, but in later, like like I said, installments in the franchise. Um, but in the middle of the recitation of the spells, a tree bursts through the window, and that's like the first mm-hmm. jump scare. It just like smashes through. Um, after we see you know the, the run up with the Raimi cam from outside. Yeah. And Bruce Campbell just famously is like, man, fuck this tree. Yeah. Like, he, like, he's not bothered by it. He's just, like, throws it back out the no, window. Trees, you know, they, they do be doing that sometimes. He's yeah. very casual about, yeah. like, a lot of stuff. Even up to the point whenever, he like... seems apathetic, like, yeah. through the first half of the movie. Yeah. Even though, like... Maybe apathetic isn't the, isn't the right word. Stunned. He's just like, yeah. yeah, maybe maybe he's in shock. Because Scott seems apathetic. Yeah, Scott Scott is just Fuck annoyed, Scott. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Scott is, like, the, Scott is like the uh, Luke from... The haunting. Yeah, kind of. Which is like funny the because... the kind of comedic relief. Yeah, which is so funny, right? That Bruce Campbell, his role in this is, like, not the, like, jock, like, masculine douchebag. Like, because he's actually Scott. the... Yeah. yeah, right? It's funny that he his role in this is, like, more of the reserved, like, nerdy, shy yeah. dude, which is yeah. crazy. What we but could... then he comes into his own, Exactly. Right? We get he that gets... character building, which builds throughout 
the rest of these movies yeah. as well. I've yeah. heard people put it as a because uh, yeah, as his uh, his yeah his his machismo comes out in Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness, and he kind of becomes yeah that sati- that satirical version of a tough guy. It's like it, somebody said it's like his coping mechanism with all the trauma that he's experienced throughout like this movie mm-hmm. and ones later on. He just has to become like he becomes so cynical and nihilistic about you he know just about goes, it all like pun- straight Punisher mode. Yeah, because <laughs> that's essentially the rest of his life. Like he's forever cursed by these demons mm-hmm. that will haunt him forever um because that's what every movie after this is basically implying it's like no matter where he goes he travels through time he does all this other shit it's like he is always going to be haunted by the kendarian demons that yeah. were that were like sucked or sicked on him sunk they sucked on him yeah they do that later uh <laughs> yeah, they sick the kendarian demons on him and then it's just the rest of his existence no yeah it's true like you notice that he like his wardrobe changes throughout the process where he's mm-hmm. like, you know, like wife beater. He looks like he's the like, sleeves come he's, off. his sleeves come off. He's like definitely worked out between the, the, the last movie and mm-hmm. this one quite a bit more. His hair changes. You know, mm-hmm. he has like, he has like a Bruce Lee haircut in this in one. In this mm-hmm. one he has, yeah, his haircut is like, he's also not, he's like, he's got the unibrow still. Like the yeah. middle is yeah. still there. And yeah. then like <laughs> the, yeah, it's just like a fluffy bang thing going on in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's weird, but yeah. So like the rest of the movie is uh, things kick off pretty quickly after this. I guess everybody tries to go to bed first, and then that's when we get the cute. I, I want to talk about like the necklace scene because this is this completely slipped by me. Like I guess on my last couple of watches of it, but then this one I was like, I forget that they really they spent a lot of time developing the romantic and like you know emotional relationship between him and Linda before he has to go you know chop her head off later and I was like this this necklace scene is really really sweet actually mm-hmm. and the way they play it I was like Sam Raimi does a cute little it's not a meet cute because they already know each other but the little inserts of like their eyes like looking at each other when they're like sitting on the couch like trying to pretend that one is yeah. not looking at the other one which when I was watching it I was like it it was it was cute but it was also creepy it yeah. was weird. It was like, <laughs> it was unsettling. It was, yeah, it was like unsettling. It was like, oh, this is cute. But it, like her eyes, like just the way they're looking, I was like, oh, but it still feels weird. Yeah. Cause it's in the context of a, but the, but the score at that point too, is funny. Cause it, I think that's why it's like, it's played as being cute because the, the music gets very lighthearted and it's played as like a nice, like a, like a sweet little interaction. Um, but he gives her that cute little necklace that has, you know, I don't know what it, it's like a pendant that has like a magnifying glass on it. Yeah. It's like translucent. That's a mm. weird gift. It's a weird necklace. Yeah. I don't for know. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's putting on like I I love it. Yeah. Like, do you? It's, do you? <laughs> it's fine. Are you just saying jewelry that? is a it's a risky gift? I feel yeah. like because I don't I don't know I have really bad taste in like jewelry and stuff. And I don't, yeah. I don't feel I need, ballsy enough to do. I that. need a partner to just tell me. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm like okay, I'll buy it. Yeah, because then you end up buying either that or you just end up buying like heart shit. Nobody wants like anything with hearts on it. Is not. This is a note. A don't buy locket. jewelry with hearts on it. Yes. Yeah, that's gross. Men, if you're listening, don't buy jewelry with hearts on it. Yeah, that's a that's a no no. Um, that's all I have to offer. Sunday scaries. Um, yeah, and I have no other insight into this field. No other notes. <laughs> um, and I think that's right after that is when stuff starts kicking off. We get the, I guess, the first really, really unsettling scene uh, with like the tree scene, I think, because yep. Cheryl is in her room and we get from outside, we get the demon perspective and stuff. Um, she goes off into the forest and we get that very, very unsettling scene uh, where yeah, she gets escalated sexually very, assaulted by a tree. Yeah, she gets essayed yeah. by the tree. Yeah. And they did manage to pull like the single close up titty shot. Like they just had to do it. There is a boob yeah. in there, but it's like, I feel like it's not played for it, it's not 
meant to be like titillating i feel like which no sorry the pun yeah, whatever but it's a it there's the yeah because i think of all the things that a lot of movies of this era you know are guilty of we, i think we talked about this when we were watching x too on how like x does a really great job of sort of taking the exploitative nature of a lot of films from this era and kind of flipping it and like mm. you know approaching it um and this movie i think is is, is not as guilty of that you know Aside from the fact, you know, of this content being in the movie, um, yeah, the the scene is, is very it's very unsettling to watch, and it still is incredibly, you know, unnerving. Um, yeah, big trigger warning. Yeah, um, if you don't watch that scene, yeah, don't if that. Yeah, stuff. If yeah, because you don't I like that. I couldn't remember was, from the first time that I watched it. If, I like, completely they, they forgot full that blow, scene. Full like, blown, go for it. Yeah. yeah, and so I was like, "Do they, or is it more of like it's not? It's not like, implied. Oh, they went it's, for it. It's yeah. explicit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, um, oh, there and, it is.' Which is actually really funny. So talking again about the 2013 remake, that was something that caught me off guard when I was watching that one too. I was like, oh because they pay homage to that as well it's definitely it's in the 2013 movie oh yeah um and it's also very explicit if not more explicit and i was like well, this is an interesting thing that you would decide to take out of this 1981 movie um because it's maybe not one yeah, of the more because uh, now it's 2013 and yeah we've learned yeah and i or we thought we learned yeah and i don't yeah i don't know how important it is to the i think you know i i think that it's not it's done in a way that is not flippant and it's not uh it, it doesn't seem like it, it, it's taking lightly um i think it is played for being as as harrowing and as as you know un, like drastically invasive as it as you know it, it is um i think yeah. it's so necessary though yeah and reason being i think that i think it shows that these like demonic forces or you know mm-hmm. forces of evil whatever you want to call them that they don't have a sense of morality or like play by our There's rules no whatsoever. There's no boundary it's that they won't break. And malevolent. I think, I think, and yeah, and I think in your, your mind as an audience that gets you prepared for anything. It happen. really does set off the tone of like, yeah. yeah, you're like, all right, now we're just kind of in for anything, aren't we? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it does. Yeah. And I think the other thing it sets up too, that I kind of was only thinking about on the rewatch here is the idea that like the, the forest and like nature itself, is like the monster outside of the house. Like everybody is getting possessed by these demons inside of the cabin. Um, but then even later on, like Scott goes outside when he tries to escape and he comes, but we don't see what happens to him. It happens off screen or whatever, but it, we're led to believe that he's just also is just gets beat up by the forest somehow. Um, yeah. Because he just comes back all fucked up after like leaving for five minutes. Yeah. Because they never actually show yeah. any demon of any sort. Fucking right? him up. Yeah. It's just, a, it's all just implied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Cheryl makes it back to the house after, uh, the whole tree sequence. And then they like, that's kind of like when things like start going crazy. She starts, there's that whole floating scene where she like finally gets like full Levitates. possessed. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is when, you know, I was trying to think of like where to put these evil dead movies and as far as like our series go. And I wanted to stick them like here early on in like the demons and ghosts series. Cause I feel like. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to categorize the uh, the monsters in this movie, but I guess a demon possession is the best way to put it, where this mm-hmm. is just full camp. Like, I feel like it takes... So this is in 1981. Uh, the Exorcist came out in 1973. Exorcist 2 comes out in 1977. We've established, you know, sort of the, um, the aesthetic of, I guess, what demon possessions look like in these movies um, <laughs> yeah. from a genre standpoint. Yeah. Uh, and so this... And ins- the voices that come out of these yeah, possessed right? people. Yep, for sure. <laughs> and so this installment in it was something that I thought was, like, really interesting. This idea of, like... it it's the you know these they're coming out to this cabin in the woods and all of the characters are you know possessed by these demons and that they just become yeah these these comical like goofy but eerily like creepy childish yeah well yeah i mean linda i think linda's the one that got me the most yeah which has been a trend 
that laugh uh, in the series so far is that when you put like a childish yeah tint on something like this it just makes it that much scarier and yeah like eerie and apparently um, like yeah like when uh so like betsy baker they were like you know going through and putting on the makeup and you know testing out all of the like costume design and everything for this and uh the original like they were playing it as her being like very menacing and evil um and then as you know they were just kind of fucking around and doing bits and stuff she was in full makeup with you know the eyes and stuff and then started singing like you know little shirley temple songs and like in a little mm-hmm. childish voice and the rest of the crew was like Please don't do that. That's incredibly <laughs> creepy, and we don't like, want to hear I'm gonna that. I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah, of course. And so Sam Raimi's like, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to do it that way. Because, uh, yeah, immediately, so, yeah, so Cheryl gets possessed, uh, and then they quickly lock her in, in the basement. Um, and the next sequence, I guess, is when Shelly gets possessed as well. She goes into the bathroom, like, everybody's trying to chill out and, yep. like, figure out what happened. Uh, I guess Olinda gets stabbed in the ankle with a pencil. That scene was really gross. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was some good body gore. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Tyler, so from, from Nurse's Corner, uh, if you get stabbed in your Achilles heel. Would it bleed like that? Yeah, I don't know. No, it wouldn't. Would you be able to walk? You wouldn't be able to walk. Not very well. No. But. I mean, that's I'd have to look at that scene again because yeah, I think it's like right here. Yeah, I'm pointing. Yeah. That's <laughs> a weird. It's a weird spot. I don't yeah. think it would hit the tendon. Yeah, but you definitely would have trouble walking. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely um, a spot like between the tendon mm-hmm. and the. I don't even know yeah. what that you would just call Just like that. what happened the to uh, yeah. Just like what happened to Achilles. Yeah, they dragged him around. Like that, that was always like one of my like yeah I. I, I was like a rash. I can't remember. I think there was another body horror movie. Was it Hostel? There's some movie where there's it an is. element in it. it yeah, is, where yeah. where the Achilles heel tendon gets mm. cut. And like ever since I remember like seeing that That's or like thinking about yeah. it, I was like, oh, it's like a, it's just such a, a visceral injury that I've mm. never been able to like get over the thought of that. And like teeth stuff is is will always get me. I'm not yeah. as bad with eyeball stuff. I feel like in movies, but weirdly ankles are like the uh, eyeballs usually get me yeah the eyeball stuff is usually really gross like that scene in this movie mm-hmm. was one where I, was, I got a little cringe you know yeah a little tingle a little tingle um yeah so i think then like shelly gets possessed and then uh scott has to chop her up like he goes at it though he does Whenever, yeah that's we get our first like mm-hmm. dismember and he like chops her up and like buries her um and then scott tries to escape because this is where she chewed her own hand off yeah after it was partially severed uh, that shit was pretty brutal yeah that was tight which also like didn't really understand i was like why is she doing that yeah mm-hmm. but these demons have no don't, no rhyme or reason no boundaries right? yeah there's no motivation like, it's there. just pure violence yeah shelly woke up and chose violence and the body i think yeah going back to the body gore in this is like i love the all of the different goos that come out of them because sometimes it's mm. it's like blood but then other times it's like you know, clear. Milk. It's yeah. like it's like milk. Like yeah. Yeah. every time they get they stabbed. used yeah, yeah they use two percent milk. Yeah, <laughs> if they get hit with the Kandarian blade. Yeah, with the blade, then, then ah. they bleed milk. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what the rule is. Yeah, because yeah. I was trying to figure out, and then like later on, it's like oatmeal. Like when they oh, start out of melting. Oh, yeah, just out of, <laughs> yeah, it looked like grits. Like I'm, I'm not gonna uh, eat grits for yeah. months after rewatching. I know on the rewatch of that, I was like, I forgot about the grits. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah not gonna be able to eat grits for a long so time gross. after watching that last yeah. night. Um, yeah, Scott goes out, tries to escape, and he comes back all fucked up. Uh, and then that's when we get like, yeah, the Linda sequence with her getting all, you know, she yeah, she turns into like a little Shirley Temple doll mm-hmm. and starts like singing in a very like you know nefarious, innocent voice. Yeah. Now, during the Shelley scene, because that is implied to be Scott's partner, right? Um, I think that's where we get the first 
hints at like the moral dilemma of killing your loved one because as he's doing that um Cheryl who's still in the yeah she just pops in the up cellar every now and pops then her the head up you know a little bit <laughs> and is yelling like set, you love her don't do that yeah. you love her don't do it um which then after Linda gets possessed we see that between her and and Bruce Especially as she snaps back to like, like the demon's doing a fake out. Yeah. Like dips out for a second and shows him the real Linda again, the love of his life. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where we're, I mean, this is really where that moral dilemma comes in. Yeah. It's a very, uh, that's kind of what I was like trying to decide. You can still see the humanity of that person within the possessed being. Yeah. I was trying to decide whether this was a zombie movie or like, because that's the same element, right? From like, you know, like a George Romero movie um, all the way back, you know, to the Night of the Living Dead and stuff where it's Mm -hmm. like your your loved one gets possessed or gets turned into a zombie or something and you have to deal with the moral dilemma of mm-hmm. you know blowing their brains out or chopping them up and you could go burying down them. the uh, warm bodies mm-hmm. yeah and that's one of the things that i was just gonna say them. that i felt this time that i don't think i felt um the last time that i watched it maybe because i was single back then and i'm not <laughs> single now <laughs> um but was just like I really felt like the the tug on the heartstrings during that scene with the chainsaw, like he just couldn't do it. Yeah, and, and I, I was just like, I mean, like I tried to put myself in that situation. It's like yeah. you realize that this person is possessed and that they're probably coming back. And and the other thing too is like he like slings her over his sh- his shoulder and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and this woman you know could just come to mo- alive at any moment, just like bite your head off. Mm-hmm. But he like takes her over to the shed and like you know it's about to kill her dismember, but he like can't do it. Yeah, he just can't do it. And I was like, all right, like what would I? It's do like a youth. It's like a euthanasia. I'd be like, like openly sobbing, taking the, the dog time. back to the backyard. Yeah. You don't want to do Old it, but yeller. you have to do it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then they cut to the necklace too. Mm-hmm. Like, as he's you know he's thinking about chopping her head off, but he sees the net. That's the when necklace. we get those big cinematic, uh, you know, scores, so, you know, stings or whatever. The mm-hmm. strings come in, and it's a very very flowy you know, uh, background quartet. Yeah. Uh, and while you're touching on that, by the way, like I, I think the score is something that stood out to me the most this time. It's honestly yeah. a very beautiful I had, score. Mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten about like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like Joseph, uh, LaDuca, La not DeLuca, Joseph LaDuca, um, was the composer on this one, um, who goes on to, so he writes for, um, the sequels, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And then also there's this run in the nineties where, um, Sam Raimi and, uh, one of his co-producers on this one, uh, Scott Spiegel kind of had this, uh, run of like television series they do yeah. you know the hercules they do xena warrior princess um and joseph laduca is composing on all of those as well and in this 80s score yeah i completely forgot about like the cool synth runs and drops that are that they stick in there for some of the more like harrowing mm-hmm. uh, possession scenes and i was like fuck that there's definitely a few yeah it does a few uh parts where that definitely stood out to me too one of them is and i was like this is some Twin Peaks, right? There's some Twin Peaks, David Lynch, creepy, Stranger things, kind of like, shit going yeah. on. Uh, some John Carpenter esque, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, one of them is right after that sequence with, uh, so the very like you know, heartstrings tuggy moment where he decides not to chop her up with a chainsaw and instead buries her in the backyard and stuff and then she pops up and he he then has to go deal with like fighting cheryl again after finally like decapitating linda and like yeah oh, cheryl know, going through all that and then cheryl pops up again and it's where she's broken out of the basement and she's like he's uh running back and forth between the two ends of the house and he's running down the hallway at one point and you get the do 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 god damn it that's awesome um well, while we're also talking on the on the music aspect real quick, I think one of the things that stood out to me was um, 
Raimi's choice of the moments to not have music, like to have this dead silence. And, and it, those are the moments for me that are honestly the most scary in the film is, I don't know what it is about like when you just reduce something to its like most minimalistic mm-hmm. envi- like you know, atmospheric environment, like dead silence to me is so much creepier than like any kind of like creepy music that you lay over something. Yeah. And I feel like for the eighties too, like having negative space in the score is kind of a unique thing. It, I feel like the tendency was a lot more to have, you know, every moment punctuated by something from the score. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, having that, that empty space and like the dead, yeah, the, the dead, air for yeah. a little time is a but he also he always also had some kind of noise playing at the same time mm-hmm. i noticed like so like whenever he goes into the basement there's a, like a trickle of water mm-hmm. there's like something to remind you that like to keep your your senses on edge mm-hmm. and then also like when they arrive at the cabin like the the slamming of oh, the, the porch mm-hmm. of the porch and it's like it's it's this, a booming it's a like mono it's driving a, it's, yes yeah. and it's like it's it's so harrowing and mm-hmm. you don't know why it's like it's like the 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 drumbeat of doom coming mm-hmm. to to you know welcome you to hell kind of type yeah. thing, and it's mm-hmm. like it's yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's it's a, it's a weirdly like futurist or not futuristic, but like it's kind of ahead of its time. Yeah, in that sound design aspect where it's it's more of a like environmental sound design versus um, like yeah, just just straight score, just straight cinematic yeah. score. Um, yeah, no, those those elements are amazing too. It's yeah, it, weirdly too. I forgot about how like uplifting the score is at the very end of this movie. Whenever the sun finally comes out, yeah, and, like he's he's out there and the the sun is coming up over the Tennessee hillside, uh, and it's you're like, all right, cool, the sun's up, and I think everything's gonna be all right now until you get that very last little <laughs> stinger then, no. with the Ramy Cam rushing through the house and then mm-hmm. catching him from behind. And we, the last shot of this movie is Bruce Campbell just like screaming as he's attacked by some, you know, demonic force or whatever. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I don't know, and and then it, it drives right into the the beginning of the of the sequel to this movie, uh, in Evil Dead Two, uh, where he gets assaulted and has to play out his uh, his Three Stooges acts with his hand, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, this is. I feel like yeah, it was. This holds up as being a lot more scary than I like remember it being. I feel like whenever I think of all of these, I'm like, even from the beginning that they were campy, um, but really mm-hmm. the campiness doesn't kick in until the second and third ones where they really just kind of approach it from a much more lighthearted perspective. This one, the first movie is played, even though for all of its funny, campy, you know, gore elements and stuff, it's played more straight. Like it's played like more emotionally, I don't know prevalent than the than the ones later on especially with the stuff like we were talking about with his relationship with you know with linda and having to murder it chop up his girlfriend and stuff yeah um that was something that i neglected and i didn't realize how how emphatically they they uh sort of you know, drove that point yeah, home you know do those scenes yeah um there are a couple like while we're in the middle of the discussion there are a couple of letterbox reviews that i picked out that i think are freaking amazing i love this segment yeah so so (laughs) lately what i've been yeah what we've been doing is like reading uh some of the best letterbox reviews uh because there's something about letterbox where they they seem to find like the people that that are on there are i don't know they they just have a good sense of humor here Um, (laughs) and there were a couple that i like picked up on whenever i was watching it this time that just like made me crack up here so for instance we have a three and a half star review from kyle dune uh who is who writes if uh, if ash attacks me buries me six feet under dismembers my limbs lights me on fire and then decapitates my head that's my fault don't prosecute him he caught me slipping there's a five-star review here from amaya uh, who says this movie does not give a shit about anything, but it looks so damn cool. I reiterate, reiterate it does not give a shit. You can take your story arcs and go get fucked by a tree. Uh, 
Which somebody does, actually, yeah, in do. this. Uh, yeah. yeah, very good choice of words, madam. <laughs> and then finally, Olivia says uh, in her three and a half star review, those dead sure were evil. Aw. They do be doing that. They do be doing that. Boom, boom. Uh, yeah, so on this watch around, like, so quality-wise, like, if you were giving this a star rating, does this hold up for you? Like, as far as, like, a film goes and it's, uh, it's, it's cinematic elements... Uh, I think I think so. Yes, I think a lot of the time when I think about these like these uh, groundbreaking films, I think about like what they did for movies after, and um, like what they really meant to the scene at the time. And I th- I think I mean correct me if I'm wrong because I think you have a better Rolodex than I do in my brain of films. Um, but I think nobody had ever seen anything quite like this before. It was just so unhinged, I guess, is the word that we like to use these days. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just so unhinged. I, I think people truly did not know what they were expecting and like what what they were gonna get when they went to go see mm-hmm. it. And it's just it's just a it's a lot to take in. And I think uh, the shock factor of it purely like I think sent film into a whole other yeah. I think it broke some lane. sort of ceiling there yeah i think so after when i was looking into you know the the response from the community after this came out right um there's varying figures on what it made worldwide you know some yeah somewhere around anywhere between 2.9 million to 29 million depending on who you talk um (laughs) but it struggled in a lot of places because like the the england release they cut out like 50 seconds of footage and it's all of it's all the scariest gore parts yeah right? if famous germany became... was banned in like a lot yeah. of places and people were making <laughs> like bootlegs and passing mm-hmm. them around to their friends i think that's why it had like the cult following it did because yeah mm-hmm. in england it was it was banned and i think it was originally like unrated in the united states but then was later given given like an nc-17 or like an x rating even mm-hmm. and so it gets this weird clout at the right at the beginning as being you know associated with other movies that are banned like like cannibal holocaust or the exorcist or something in england where it's like you know, it, it, but I think because of that, it's like it weirdly has that like Streisand effect on it where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is something yeah. that I have to go see now because it's yeah. so like it must be so famously violent. And then or when something. you see that you have this audience for that, yeah. it forces the industry to, yeah. to accommodate it, mm-hmm. right? Like you have enough movies like that come out mm-hmm. that people keep wanting to see, they're going to get made. Mm-hmm. And they're yep. gonna get shown eventually, and I think this movie had a part in that. Yeah, and know? I think that's also why it was it made so much money in like video release, though. Like it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's actual box yeah. office. It was run, like I think. the top rated, uh, like rental mm-hmm. release of all time at that time. That's how I rationalize the discrepancy, like when, and those, yeah, those box office figures that pop up when you're trying to see, like, all right, well, how much movie, money did the Evil Dead make? And yeah, it's like that two point nine million dollar figure, which I think is the actual worldwide box office, and then there's mm-hmm. like the twenty nine million dollar, which I think accounts for all the various reissues and iterations of mm-hmm. VHS sales and everything like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like talking about reception though, like especially for I guess kind of what we were getting into about Sam Raimi's career, um this film just luckily gets this recognition very early on from a few of, you know, incredibly important figures in horror. Like famously Stephen King, when he sees this film get taken to the Cannes Film Festival in 1982. Um, so, Backtracking a little bit, uh, Sam Raimi manages to get this into the Cam uh, Film Festival, um, like on the market, not as like a screener or in competition or anything, um, because he has connections with one of the uh, uh, founders 
of the uh, of the Cannes Film Festival, and famously, that's where it gets seen by. Um, so just to screen it, not mm-hmm. to actually like have it be in the competition, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where it gets seen by Stephen King, who calls it, you know, the most ferociously original film of this year. Um, and that's the quote that they put on all of the promotion for you know the, this movie. Because yeah. Um, yeah, if you have a quote from that's Stephen King, mean. yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, uh, especially I, with a genre film like this, it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, yes, thank you. Yeah, Mr. they locked King. that in, and I, it and it was this kind of crazy, you know confluence of circumstances that allowed this movie to gain the cult following it did and then sort of yeah it becomes the like the guarantor the 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 movie that sets the stage for sam raimi to go on to make um you know to participate in the industry yeah um so he goes on to make, like I said, Crime Wave with the Coen brothers, and then, uh, it, which is kind of a flop, and I think it's very disappointing for everybody involved. Um, and then directly after that, you know, the Coen brothers go on to make uh, Raising Arizona, and then he comes back and makes the sequel to this one, Evil Dead 2, which I think, you know, continues yeah. to yeah. provide. They all got back in their bag. Exactly, yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go back to what I know and uh, do what I know. Yeah. I think, I found it interesting. I, I remember reading about, um, they sent it off to an editing agency, and Joel Cohen worked at that editing agency at the time and Mm -hmm. i think that's what kicked off this whole like as he's working on editing this film for raimi he's like this shit is tight Mm -hmm. and that started their their careers like intertwining a little bit yeah Yeah. which is always so interesting to me because yeah i did this thing uh like last summer or something where we were going through and watching every single coen brothers movie in order and it is fascinating to see like that, that's something that I think is interesting about the, the difference between the way that their careers diverge, the Coen brothers versus like Sam Raimi is the Coen brothers very early on decide to sort of like stick to their guns and be like, we're going to hone this format for our movies. All of their movies are, you know, basically like a heist movie gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this format from yeah, blood simple to raising Arizona to, you know, Barton Fink, it, they 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 zero in on these character character archetypes that they kind of create early on and then just perfect those over time until ultimately they make you know no country for old men and it's like that character anton shigura shows up in raising arizona it's like the same right. character archetype mm-hmm. it's the motorcycle guy from raising arizona but they just have refined it to such a degree that by the time Javier Bardem shows up and plays him in No Country for Old Men, you're like, this is what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Like, mm. Which is my favorite film of all time, by the way. Yeah. Building up to that. I love that you're bringing to that the peak. Yeah. yeah. Arguably one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Um, and it, but the thing is, though, about it, and I think a lot of people don't realize it when they watch this because mm-hmm. that movie reads very serious, mm-hmm. but it actually at its DNA really it's kind of a dark comedy there's yeah. a lot of comedic moments actually throughout the entire thing that you like you laugh at but you're like oh I shouldn't laugh at that but yeah. no it's like they actually meant that to be funny yeah and mm-hmm. all of their movies from like like I said yeah from their the, the comedic element to it where it's just sort of like the uh, like the ridiculousness of the situations that the characters that they create put themselves in yeah from yeah from Fargo to um, you know Oh Brother Where Art Thou and then yeah like Barton Fink like there's Lebowski. yeah the Lebowski like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like these are all just like they know exactly yeah, what they're doing. and there, there's a common element. Like I said, it's like these are all heist movies gone wrong. Um, and but they, like I said, their their career is more of of honing this and creating this like essentially perfect movie. Where there is this period in Sam Raimi's career after he makes Army of Darkness um, that I mentioned earlier in the '90s, where he it appears that he attempts to tr- kind of try to pivot away from the campiness and sort of. I think what he perceives as like the childishness of uh, his early movies of those, you know, evil dead movies. And he goes on to make, you know, um, uh, a Western movie. Um, He makes uh, uh, a simple plan. He makes this movie with uh, Cate Blanchett. That's like a, like a crime thriller drama um, called the gift. Uh, He makes a baseball movie that is like 
uh, agreed to by our Ooh. baseball team to be like the worst baseball movie ever made. <laughs> uh, it's the Kevin Costner's uh, yeah. For the Love of the Game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's it's in this period before he gets the deal for Spider-Man where it's like he he's like, I want to make grown-up movies for a grown-up audience i'm not going to do as much of that campy stuff anymore i want to show that i can make these you know you know more mature films um and i think i don't know it it seems like when he finally does get spider-man though he he kind of comes to terms with the fact that it's like i am the perfect person to make a a comic book movie and he was like and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what leads to those being like these amazing movies um and it's interesting because i wonder how different his career would have been if you know he were provided the support to lean into his style as much as the Coens did. And I think, and I, I think that there's like a, something to be said about like maybe the perspective on that he has on like their careers versus his, not that I don't think, you know, he's obviously incredibly successful and stuff, but like he goes on to make, you know, drag me to hell in 2012 and then like, doesn't make another movie for nine years. And then we got this movie that came out this year and it's like a, you know, it, it is a very, very Raimi movie. Um, but it it's is, yeah. under the, but it's still kind of suppressed by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, but um, it definitely, I think it felt more like a Raimi film than the Spider-Man films did. Yeah, even though there yeah. were there were obvious like elements of, I mean, like the the Doc Ock uh, scene in Spider-Man yeah. Two, which is one of the most, you know, I mean, it's one of the most like direct Evil Dead reference scenes you can possibly think yeah. of when it comes to Raimi and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it there's something about the new Dr. Strange film that just feels like it's, it's him in his wheelhouse mm-hmm. more than any other time. I mean, it's in, the in book of the dead. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically what, yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> um, yeah, I do want to save, we, I think we will come back to talking about drag me to hell here um, very soon, actually. So I want to save uh, kind of some conversation for that, for that uh, episode here. Um, but yeah. Any other thoughts on, uh, on this 1981, the evil dead though? Um, anything that like stuck out to you this time that you, uh, didn't really realize you hadn't noticed before this rewatch? I think for me, it was a lot of the technical aspects, which I think I, a lot of the time I try to watch a film and just enjoy it. And then a lot of the time Mm -hmm. I just try to watch it again and, and kind of pick it apart and see what I liked about it technically. Um, But I kind of watched it this time. I noticed I did both in one, like I was enjoying it and also picking it apart technically in a good way. I think this is a film that allows for that too, especially since like the, the entire second half of the movie, there's not really like any dialogue. It's just, Mm -hmm. you really just are looking at, you know, visuals and everything. Right. While everybody screams in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, from the technical side, that was something that stuck out to me a lot about this one was a cinematography where I was like, wow, it's not nearly, I mean the quality of the shots, especially like depending on which version you're able to download or get, um, the quality of whatever digitalized you know version of the film that they have um isn't great but it's the actual framing of the shots and where sam raimi puts the camera aside from obviously like his classic crazy inserts and like zoom in screens and and well there was there was one shot where it was like it was underneath uh bruce campbell's feet Mm -hmm. did you remember that it's a very quick shot yeah Mm -hmm. and i remember like i saw and i was like what was that and they don't do it ever again they were just like i feel like that was them going like hey this would be cool let's do this real quick and they just like they were like put up some glass and like stand on this real quick and i was like what was that there's a couple like that there was one too that was like really pretty to me where they were uh it's the first time that they try to escape with cheryl where she makes bruce drive her to uh she she tries to make him drive her into town and they get to the bridge and find out that the bridge has collapsed and it's where the car car is 
is you know they're backlit by the headlamp of the car and so it's like the two of them and cheryl's like screaming and she's like on her knees and stuff and it's it's a very pretty just like wide like framing shot and i was like wow that looks that looks really good that one yeah. and the one in the basement when we talked about earlier when the blood uh so there's like that super on eight camera projector. on the or the projector yeah, yeah. and yeah. the blood drips over the lens in the basement and it covers mm-hmm. and it's projecting onto him where he's standing right against the wall and the blood the projection of the blood drips over him that's a that's a beautiful shot as well yeah, where you could tell they like, yeah they were just playing I like around. how long he stands in front of that projector too yeah just like blinded by it yelling yeah you know it just keeps going and going <laughs> <laughs> while the blood just drips down the screen he kind of forgets he's getting chased by a demon yeah for yeah. a second it's absolutely amazing um but yeah i think we hit all the stuff that i wanted to talk about on this one I, mean, I, I did i definitely also found myself thinking you know like this is what 40 41 years ago at this yeah. point like how they just how they came up with some of these shots you know and then reading about it after watching because I, I read into it a little bit more mm-hmm. yeah and you hear about you know bruce and sam just running through the woods with a two by four like slamming their feet on rocks and shit to get those first person monster um shots like the stuff they were doing with a handful of dudes uh, in a cabin somewhere is I know. pretty. I think that's what's so romantic about this too. Is like why I love going back and watching this movie. Is you're like it. You're you're like yeah. These kids just did it. They just mm-hmm. managed to do. They, they just tried shit and out it. and and fucking did it. I know. Uh, the knocking great. over the trees aspect with the cam- while shooting it with the camera. I always thought was so interesting to me because you know they obviously want to have it have the perspective of like oh there's this like big monster coming through the woods for you and they're like knocking over trees as like a really expensive camera probably oh, at the yeah. time at least is like right behind it and i was uh-huh. like that was that was ballsy, ballsy. that yeah. was ballsy you know <laughs> like i gotta give you props for that one yeah they had but, some moxie yeah they I, did. I love it. um have you seen anything lately any movies or any shows that you think people should watch or should absolutely not watch oh man you know i think it's oddly appropriate based on what we're talking about because we're talking about like 80s horror. Uh, but I, I just finished Stranger Things season four. Oh, God. And I haven't even started it yet. I haven't started it yet. Yeah. And okay, so I won't give away yeah. anything. Do you, yeah, give us our, your impression without any spoilers. Um, I will say that I appreciate the, is it the Duffer Brothers? Duff, the Duffy? D- Duffy, 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 I don't know. Yes. I, yeah. Anyways, I the guys, agree. the guys that are the the brainchild behind mm-hmm. the series, they definitely have like a vision for where it's like going. It doesn't seem like it's like creating itself as they're going. They're like, we right. have no idea where we're going. Um, I, I like the very direct homages that they pay to horror. Like, um, Robert England is actually in this season. I yeah, won't, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't tell you how, but yeah. he's he's in the season. I assume he shows up with a melted face and a top hat. He doesn't look great. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he, um, but I love that. I mean, they they I think they're at least this show for me kind of feels very similar to like how a Quentin Tarantino film pays very direct hmm. homage to things, um, and it's just it's a lot of fun along the way too. Like it's it's just really campy and you know. Um, I've always found the show to be really, really fun. And I just, the, I always expect going into the next season to be kind of like, all right, this is going to be the one where they lose steam and right. they lose my interest. And then like, no, by the end of it, I mean, they have two more episodes coming out on July 1st. Yeah. I heard so they, it's not, they it's broke not, this one up. Yeah, yeah. It's not fully done yet, but I definitely felt myself kind of like really impressed with the direction they took it. I'm, I've, I'm consistently impressed. Cause I'm like, where can they possibly go now? And then I'm like, Oh shit, they actually, you know, kind of developed on the mythos of the universe that they have. Hell yeah. So it was, uh, it's enjoyable. You know, I, I really liked it. Nice. 
Yeah. As far as the show goes, I'm trying right. to think of a movie that I saw recently that I really liked. I don't know. You go. I know we all have off. to go see Top Gun and Crimes of the Future this weekend, so we can give them some honest yes. reviews here. Yeah, I've not seen I'm Top Gun. I'm sad that I'm going to be out of town for the next week or so, because mm-hmm. um, I really we've been talking about Crimes of the Future for weeks the last now. several weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just saw the trailer again yesterday when I went and watched the Bob Berger movies. Oh, did you I, watch? I had off of work and I was like, you know what? I got my Alamo season pass. Yep. I'm going to go see Bob's Burgers. If you haven't gotten the Alamo season Bob's pass, Burgers that much, but. get that season pass. We all mm. have the season pass. We got infinite movies at Alamo Draft House. Yeah. 20 um, bucks a month. Hell yeah. Totally worth it. Definitely yeah. worth it. Especially if you go to the movies a lot. Yeah. Um, have you seen Eastern Promises yet after we talked no, about it? I forgot no. to watch it. Yeah. I need to yeah. To that's a great. It. Have you seen it? Um, not recently, man. Okay. This is the Viggo Mortensen recommend from Blake as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's man. It's just, oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. And if you just want to see like, in my honest opinion, and I know this is like a heavy statement considering like, you know, Aragorn from Lord Go of the Rings, mm-hmm. but like his best performance in right. my personal opinion, like he's mm-hmm. just, it's cause Vigo is just known for just having this like cool charisma. That's hard to re- put into words, like how well he does it. And he's just such a minimalistic actor, but he's just so honed in every time he does a performance. Like this was like the role that he was created for, like to play like a mafioso hitman. Um, oh, so cool. But with a conscience, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's the one that has like a little bit of a conscience is like he was made for. He's it. an actor. Who yeah. Did nuance. Yeah. 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 I just I love that guy. Eastern Promises. Yeah, I'm just so often things. Hard reminded. From Blake. Like obviously I was introduced to him as Aragorn. Right. right? And then it took years for me to really realize the depth of his work beyond that. You yeah, know, I just, Hidalgo. he was just Lord of the Rings guy for a yeah. long time. And he wasn't even the first and choice then, for that role. They famously recast him for that role. Oh yeah. The first guy was just super annoying, right? Like, no, he was too young. <laughs> Peter really? Jackson like watched oh, him on camera a couple grizzled. times and he goes, I've fucked up. You're too young for this I role. I thought he also like showed up, like was just late and drunk for like every sh- like shooting or whatever. That, that might've also been maybe true. Maybe that's, maybe I'm know. making that up. I I don't, I don't know. know. That was it's, some that was a trivia thing that I forgot to drop in about the Evil Dead actually just one quick like callback was the one scene whenever they're first recording listening to the tape recording in the original script they were going to uh have them all smoking smoke weed. weed. So and they <laughs> and they tried it. They tried it out and they all actually smoked weed and got too high and weren't had to reshoot it cuz they were just being ridiculous. <laughs> they're like, "All right, never again. Yeah. Never again. We give you guys a bone and you guys just go too far with exactly. it." Exactly. No more. Um you see anything Tyler? Besides Bob's Burgers, um, I saw Bob's Burgers. It was fine. I don't. I'm not a big Bob's Burgers fan, so I don't listen to my um, take on that. I'm not. It's not that I'm not a fan. I just How haven't watched you. it much. Um, I rewatched The Departed the other day, um, <laughs> I and actually, that was Courtney's because I was just like scrolling through shit, and Courtney had never seen it, and I was like, okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna go, like, and she got really into it. She loves crime, like thrillers, like that. Oh yeah. Um, she didn't love the end. Oh no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. I mean, I still Wait, love that movie. I think it's great. I, I, I watched that, that we, recently too, and I forgot uh, like young Vera Farmiga as like the love interest of that movie. Yeah, and like, that threw me off too because so we just watched. Um, I know she plays yeah so much like a, a more of a matron like elderly figure in the Conjuring movies and stuff. Yeah. But now when she's a cute young therapist, uh-huh. and you're like, damn Vera. Yeah, ah, she can get it. <laughs> she can get it. She can get it. Um, uh, now that we talked about Vigo. I'm reminded of uh, Captain Fantastic. That's one that I want to oh, recommend. Yeah. Um, where he's like this father of like five kids or whatever living off the grid. Um, separated. You know, without spoiling anything, there's no mother figure involved. And they they get kind of entrapped in this weird like legal 
battle because he's isolated them hmm. in this bus in the Oregon wilderness. Um, another film with great work by Viggo Mortensen. So All right, I this is a Viggo Mortensen one. podcast now. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. you guys haven't seen Prophecy. That's from how the what it always becomes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Eastern Promises. Yeah, Prophecy was the one where he plays uh, Satan. He like shows up just like as a cannot. He doesn't have a very big role in it, but he, that's mm. like one of the best. People argue that's one of the Portrayals best performances of, of yeah. Satan. Is that with uh, Christopher Walken? Yeah. Wait. I think, right? Yeah, the prophecy. Am I, I forget who yeah, else the is in that. Yeah, the prophecy. Yeah, yeah. Um, one movie. What was I going to recommend? Oh, did you see the uh, the inside outtakes? Did you watch that whole thing? I did. Yeah, I did. I watched it yesterday. Yeah, Bo Burnham put out like his uh, cut material from his Netflix special, and it's basically like an hour. It's like a full other hour long special, essentially. Mm-hmm. Did um, he release it ironically on Netflix? It's on YouTube, it's on YouTube. Oh, but okay. he yeah, and it's you can Got watch it on him. YouTube without ads. It's like you yeah. get through the whole thing, and I think because he's he just, grandfathered into some <laughs> weird. Yeah, he just threw it out there. Yeah, it's it it really really amazing that mm-hmm. that seared that special hit at such a crazy time i guess last year or whatever and it was like such a i don't know i feel like i I beat that special into the ground because i listened to the song so much Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was really crazy to get like right back into the feels by listening to all the new material that was cut from it to harken back to it yeah and see him in that environment again yeah when things are i'll say this too i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw one more out there that's like kind of weird and not in the vein of what we were just talking about but uh, we live in times right now where like everybody is really like estranged from each other. There's a lot of violence. There's, you know, everything in the news is just like bad news. and makes you feel really bad about life. But if you want to feel kind of like better about life, British baking shows <laughs> are so amazingly so uplifting. I don't know how they, you did this, but that fits perfectly into my next uh, suggestion. Here. <laughs> because they're like so support. It's like it's the exact opposite of how American cooking shows go because we like pit them against each uh-huh. other. We're like, you suck. And we yeah. throw their dish against the wall. Mm. But like in yeah, uh, with the a British it, host. Yeah, and, and the British host. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, with a British host, ironically. <laughs> but like, in, you know, like the Great British Bake Off. And there's another one I'm watching now with my girlfriend called like the I think it's like the British cooking show. I can't remember what the name of it is. But like they're all so insanely supportive of each other. It's not really a competition. They like help each other out. Mm-hmm. The judges are very like objective, but still very supportive of the people. And it's just like, oh man, like, you know, life is good. Like people aren't necessarily like I evil love, by nature. I love that you recommended that because I have a perfect uh warn for everybody. Absolutely do not watch the great pottery throw. So that <laughs> that format only works for baking. It turns out they try to do the so there's this HBO series called The Great Pottery Throw. It's the exact same format with the exact same template and everything. Like it's it's the baking show, but with pottery throwing. And it's the most re- pottery is okay, like I have so many friends that do ceramics and it's amazing and I love I love that you do ceramics and stuff. The, the show about it is just so dumb. It's so fucking, it all, because the thing about pottery is that it doesn't look good until it's done. And it's like, it doesn't look good until it's like a finished glazed product. So throughout this show, it's like, they do this exact same thing where they have, they have, you know, a Mary Berry figure. They have like the uh, Peter Flip figure or whatever, or uh, Paul Hollywood. But it's like mm, yeah. these other two people who are pottery specialists. And then they have potters come and make, you know, vases and toilets and like other <laughs> shit. And, but it just, it's just so dumb and nothing looks good. Everything right. looks terrible because they're forcing them through these challenges where it's like, 
like in the baking show, even when they do something like that's hard, at least it comes out and you're like, all right, well, that's cool. And like, it's food and it's sweets, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's inherently like intrinsically like, you know, right. nice. It's still and useful food, and, and food, yeah, yeah, it still generates endorphins. But like when you're watching people struggle to like build, one of the challenges they had them do was like, you have to build five teapots in five minutes and they have to throw, throw these teapots and they all look like shit. It's like, it's, it's stupid. I don't know why it's a, I don't know. Don't watch that show. It's, it's absolutely terrible. Um, go There's watch never any show again. Just yeah. don't watch the show. Noted. Yeah, go watch Bake Off again. Um, don't watch Is It Cake either. That, that shit <laughs> just oh, frustrating. That, that the premise of that I never understood. I was like, why is it? People also, are like, watch why it. is it, why did they? What's the host name? I don't know. Like yeah. my least favorite, most annoying SNL cast member. They're like, oh, he's annoying on SNL. Let's give him a whole a, fucking a, a show. Last hosting yeah. position. <laughs> yeah, Bacon Ears is good though. Y'all seen that one? Mm-mm. It's where they like it's like it's like guys they they pit they get it's like teams right and they have a, a baker and an engineer and they Ooh. tell them to build this thing that like is you make mm. it like like a k like some kind of food product but, but thing. it has to be like structurally but sound. it has to be structurally sound like they do like a volcano test for one of them where it's like it has to like shake and see if it holds up but it's like a cake right it's it's really funny it's really interesting to see how I like see that. engineer I minds see that being clash a bridge minds yeah. Yeah, I just I, I I learned I was like yeah it has to be baking because it doesn't work for anything else it, it's no. like yeah especially pottery, um yeah so <laughs> those are our recommendations <laughs> all right hey if you yeah, guys don't know evolved into something <laughs> yeah weird. if you guys don't know uh we have a Patreon if you go to patreon.com slash scary Sunday scaries uh you can go on there and every uh, every time we record an episode it gets posted there within like an hour or two um otherwise it'll come out uh you know in a few days uh usually on Mondays. Um, there's also artwork on there, uh, lots of cool stuff. You can support us, support the podcast. Uh, we, if you want to hang out with us, we have an Instagram, uh, at scary Sunday scaries. Um, Blake, you don't, you, you're off social media, right? You got any I, shows or commercials yeah, coming out? That you're I, in? I am off social media. Um, I did the, the episodes that I shot for fear the walking dead should be ironically. That's kind of a plug. This could yeah. be a plug for that. Um, are going to be coming out, I think in the fall i think that's when the release date is supposed cool. to be so i think those will be coming out i'm excited about those uh it's weird how like as an actor like you film these things and you know nothing about them after because <laughs> like because i also shot a supporting role in a film last year with michael chiklis that will be coming out um at some point this year um or or next year i don't know like they, they don't really like literally you just get like an email saying like hey you're invited to the premiere and you're like oh this is actually coming out and then you <laughs> thanks for that and then you go and then like that's you know that's the thing but yeah so the senior uh, with Michael Chiklis, okay. and then uh, if you're a Fear the Walking Dead fan, um, I'll see you in that at some point next season. Hell yeah, or you'll see me in that rather. But yeah, there you go. Awesome. Uh, Hell I've, yeah. I'm at Trav the guy on Instagram. At Timeants T Y M A N T Z. Cool on Instagram. Uh, and, so uh, I know we kind of recorded out of order this week. Uh, we were gonna watch uh, the Exorcist three, but we watched drag. We watched uh, sorry, the Evil Dead instead. Mm-hmm. So I think that Exorcist three episode will actually be our next one after this. So uh, sorry for the fake out. I'm gonna go retroactively edit the Sinister episode and put in uh, <laughs> the those. Evil Dead as a as an ADR at the end, uh, so that people don't get confused. Make it like super awkward too. Like it just goes silent and then <clears throat> the Evil Dead. It's gonna like, be in like up. a no. It's gonna be in like a like a tape deck recording and i'm gonna put a uh, i'm gonna a reading from the necronomicon right afterward um <laughs> to curse anybody who's listening oh great to gotcha yeah. so anybody who is actually listening uh, you're dead now yeah. so and if you're listening so. in order uh we're gonna do yeah we're gonna do uh the exorcist three next time um 
which you recommended highly to me. Yes. So that's on. I'm excited to hear that podcast because I'm going to watch it the best very soon. So and I'm super excited about it. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, guys. If you uh, yeah, keep listening to us again, uh, hang out with us on social media, send us comments, tell us all the stuff that we didn't talk about that we should have, uh, and I'll try to take that to heart and include it next time I <laughs> I'll talk. try yeah I'll, I'll do my best I'll try yeah. my best alright bye. <laughs> bye bye Sunday Scaries hey uh, so I feel kind of bad because the reaction uh, that Tyler and Cameron gave on the last episode on Sinister whenever we talked about watching The Conjuring 3 next uh, was really excited. So here's that audio from that, just in case you were wondering what it sounded like. Uh, so we watched uh, Sinister this week. Do you know what our movie is next week? Have I told you yet? Uh, I have, I've got it in the dock. But yeah, I don't it's in the dock. It's, it's in the dock. We're finally there. We're there, baby. It's we're- The Exorcist 3. Legion. You've been talking about this for a week. Oh weeks. my god! <laughs> the best Exorcist movie. I mean, I don't want to. It's. Th- it is the best Exorcist the, movie. The best jump scare of all time. It has probably the most famous jump scare of all time. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't fucking wait. And guess what? I haven't seen it. I know. And I oh, love that. So no surprise there. <laughs> Damn. It's gonna be so great. Uh, so we're gonna be watching that next. So uh, if you want to watch it in advance, and then. Uh,